0: So what's one little thing that someone did for you this week that made a big difference in your life? I'm gonna give you a second. I want you to think of it. What's, what's one little thing that, that maybe seemed insignificant that someone did for you this week that made a big difference in your life? got it? Okay, mine was melon balls. Someone, someone made me melon balls. They didn't just cut up the melons, they made melon balls. And I'm telling you, a melon ball tastes better than just a cut up melon, it does. If you've been there, you know it's, it's just a little thing, but it just made a, a big difference in my life. It, it brought some joy in my life. I've always loved the story of, of legendary college basketball coach, John Wooden and the attention to the little things that he would focus on because little things matter and the little things that he would focus on would be socks and shoes now, he would spend a lot of time talking to his players about socks and shoes one of those times he was talking to a player and this is what he said about how to put his socks on now pull it up in the back Pull it up real good and real strong. Now run your hand around the little toe area and make sure there are no wrinkles and then pull it back up. Now check the heel area because we don't want any sign of a wrinkle about it. The wrinkle will be sure you get blisters and those blisters are gonna make you lose playing time and if you're good enough, your loss of playing time might get me fired. And then he moved over from socks and moved to the shoes. And he said this about lacing up the shoe. There's always a danger of becoming untied when you're playing. And if they become untied, I may have to take you out of practice. And if you miss practice, you're going to miss playing time. And not only that, it's going to irritate me just a little bit too. Someone summarized his thoughts like this. If you don't care for your socks and shoes and your shoelaces, you'll get blisters and mispractice and get hurt and lose games and cost the team a championship. In other words, little things matter. The, the little, the wrinkle in the sock, it, it mattered. He had learned that through experience, through paying attention. It's the little things that matter. We continue our series called Fresh Air where we are looking at the words that are filling up the air around us. Not just any words, but maybe most specifically the words that we are filling up the air around us. The words that we are using at home and work and school and church and everywhere else we go. And we're going to be pulling up to the words of James 3 in the Bible. And, and James is going to be trying to get us to tie our hearts to an understanding that the little things matter when it comes to the words that we use the little things matter why because little things can make a big difference It's the little things that happen in most of our daily lives that can make some of the biggest difference in how we think and how we act and our attitude. It's the little things that make a big difference in the lives of other people and in our own lives. In fact, it's some of the little things that you say that actually reveal why you exist. It's in the the little things that we actually discover some of our purpose for being alive now what does that mean well let's see if we can find out together our message today is great words and we're going to be looking in James chapter 3 and we're going to begin with verse 3 James writes now if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us we direct their whole body as well The horse is a strong, powerful, majestic animal, weighs more than than 1,000 pounds, and and yet it can be led by a little bit. Now, that bit could be something that's just a little bit bigger than a a magic marker. And positioned in the right place in the horse's mouth, that, that bit can lead and guide and direct and manage that large, powerful animal. In fact, without the bit, the horse could wildly move all over the place in all kind of directions, every which way but loose, and never get to where he's supposed to get. Or, without a bit, the horse could wildly move in every direction and just create chaos everywhere the horse goes. Like letting a, a rodeo bull loose in the middle of a Best Buy store. It's just chaos, it's just crazy but that small bit can bring powerful control to chaos now i realize that sounds a little bit crazy but it's true little things matter little things matter and that little bit it doesn't just control the horse's mouth It leads and guides and directs and and manages the horse's whole body. The the bit controls everything, moves everything. And that horse, that horse wasn't designed just to go sit in a stable somewhere. That horse has has purpose. That horse is, is designed to be used. And so that little bit helps the horse display power and helps the horse fulfill purpose. And James gives us another picture of power and purpose. Look at verse 4. Look at the ships, too. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are nevertheless directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot determines. But look, I'm no Ferdinand Magellan. I'm no Captain and I'm no Archimedes, so I don't have all of this uh, marine and math behind me. But, but generally speaking, if you take a, a large ship that's 12 football fields long and three football fields high that weighs 200,000 tons, has 7,000 people aboard, that massive ship can be steered by turning something that's underwater behind it that's about the size of six minivans. I mean, this, this huge, massive ship can be moved by something little a a little rudder it's a little thing on a ship but it's put in just the right position and from that position it can lead and guide and manage and direct this powerful vessel. Without that rudder a ship could go in, in all kind of directions and never arrive where it's supposed to arrive. Or, without that rudder, the the ship could go in a lot of different directions. It could be chaos. It could be crashing into the harbor or crushing ships that are smaller than it is. But in the right place, and used correctly, that little rudder can help that powerful ship do exactly what it needs to do. Just like the little bit in the horse's mouth, the, the little rudder is where it's supposed to be it's doing what it's supposed to do it's helping the ship fulfill its purpose because see the ship is not designed to sit in the harbor and do nothing the ship is designed to sail and so that rudder it, it helps the ship fulfill its purpose and and display its power but then James says there's something even more powerful than a large horse or a large ship. Something more powerful and has just as much, if not more, purpose. Look what he says in verse 5. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. The tongue is about two ounces of muscle in our mouth. That's, that's not very big, right? two ounces just just a little bit of muscle but that little bit of muscle just like the little bit for the horse just like the little rudder for the ship it can lead and manage and direct and guide your entire life that tongue is positioned in your mouth in just the right place so that it either strikes the roof of the mouth or strikes the teeth and it produces the words that come out of your mouth and so that little bit of muscle called the tongue can direct your whole life used incorrectly the tongue can send you wildly in a lot of different directions and you may never get where you need to get or likewise used incorrectly the tongue can wildly create a lot of chaos in your life. Chaos that, that takes over. Chaos that, that creates so much turmoil in your life it's it's hard to turn around. But use correctly. Use correctly that that little two ounces of muscle can help your words bring purpose and bring power into your life. In other words, the tongue is designed to be used. So how are you using your tongue what kind of words are you speaking look none of us are perfect but just generally speaking just let's look back over the last week what kind of words have you been saying to your spouse or your parents or your kids to people at work uh, people in traffic uh, people wherever you are. What, what kind of words have you been using? What kind of words have you been speaking? What kind of words have you been singing? What kind of words have you been texting? What kind of words have you been writing or emailing or, or posting? What, what kind of words? I mean, no pun intended. Actually, lots of pun intended. No horsing around. What exactly is the air like around your life? What, what are the words filling up the air around your life what are people hearing from you are the words that are coming out of your mouth a blessing or a blemish are they seasoning or are they spoiling are they improving or are they impairing are they helping or are they harming are they doing what words really should do advancing things or are they aggravating things or annoying or angering your tongue is just a little bit of muscle in your mouth, but it's designed to be used. So how are we using our tongue? Are we using our tongue to, to form words for good or for evil? For praising or for complaining? For encouraging or for criticizing? What kind of words are we filling the air up with? Now, someone may throw their hands up in the air and go, ha, ah. Well, who can do this? Who, who can live up to this? Man, my, my mouth gets me in trouble all the time. I might as well just not say anything anytime, anywhere. Well, clearly there are times to be quiet and there are times to be silent. Uh, as someone has said, in, life, in our lifetimes, we will have many opportunities to keep our mouth shut and we should take advantage of all of them. But the reality is there are also times that we're supposed to speak. See, our tongues are designed by God to be Used. They're designed to be used to create words. What kind of words? About 3,002 years ago, King David was writing a song about God, and this is what he wrote, Psalm 145, verse 10. All your works will give thanks to you, Lord. Since the dawning of creation, all of creation has been praising and thanking God. All of creation right now is praising and thanking God. Forever and ever and ever, all of creation will be praising and thanking God. From the crashing sounds of the majestic waves off the coast of Tasmania, to the never ending light of the summer sun in Norway, to the feel of the the grassy meadows in Austria and the mountains to the brilliant colors of the mandarin fish all of creation in some way shape or form is thanking and praising and blessing God and, and not just all of creation in general look what David says next in verse 10 and your godly ones will bless you followers of the of the one true God they will bless God they will praise God they will worship God they will thank God it's it's part of of what we are and what we do as followers of the one true God and how do we praise him David goes on verse 11 they will speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your might to make known to the sons of mankind your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom what kind of kingdom are we talking about here David tells us verse 13 your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom And your dominion endures throughout all generations. The God that we're singing to today, the the God that the choir sang about changing us, this God, His dominion endures forever. His kingdom is everlasting. There, There is no other God that gets to say that and back it up. Our God his dominion is forever our God his kingdom is everlasting and dear Christian that matters that's that's not just something for a sermon that's not just something for a hymn that's not just something for a choir song it's not just something for a you know a cross-stitch pillow on your sofa God's dominion and his kingdom being forever it matters right now in our lives It matters no matter what we are going through. And just a reminder your favorite presidential candidate, his dominion, her dominion is not forever. Their kingdom is not everlasting. God and God alone will be on the throne of the universe forever and ever and ever. So we saddle up to him now. First, and most above all men above all women above all things our God has dominion our God has an everlasting kingdom and that matters and David says all of creation is singing that they're speaking that and so are the ones who follow after God so dear Christian are we singing and saying that outside of this room Do we speak and text and email and post as people who follow a God whose dominion is forever and whose kingdom is everlasting? It may sound like a little thing, but little things matter. All of creation is is praising the Lord and we exist to join creation. It's, It's why we exist. We exist to enjoy the reality that God's kingdom is forever. Listen, if you are not a Christian and you're struggling with with meaning and purpose in life right now, we, we want you to know that your ultimate meaning and purpose will be found in the God of glory whose dominion never ends and whose kingdom is everlasting. In fact, Augustine said your heart will be restless until it finds its rest in the one that God sent to save the world. In other words, your heart, your soul, your mind, your attitude, your bank account, your health, your home, your yard, everything about you will be restless until you find your rest in Jesus Christ. You can do great things in school, you can do great things in sports, you can do great things in work, you can do great things in your workshop, but your heart will be restless until it finds its rest in Jesus. God is your purpose, and the power of the purpose in your life is found in the person of Jesus Christ, and that's why we say little things matter, because those two ounces of muscle that are in your mouth called the tongue that, that strike against the roof of the mouth and, and the teeth to, to form words. You have been created to find power and purpose in words that glorify God. Like you will actually be satisfied when your heart starts speaking to your tongue and your tongue starts speaking to your mouth and you start forming words that glorify God, that lift up the fact that his dominion is forever. There's great purpose in speaking of the glory of God and his everlasting kingdom. There is great power in speaking of the glory of God and his everlasting kingdom. There is great comfort in speaking of God and his glory and his everlasting kingdom. I spoke with someone this week who, who had interaction with a funeral recently, and, and they just spoke of, of how the person that, that led the funeral just, just like read some things from a book, just, just said some things from a book, and, and then that, that was it, that was, that was the service. And it's such a, a sad thing when at the moment of death, when, when there's not gonna be a tomorrow for, for many, it's such a sad thing that, that in that moment, the greatest comfort that you could possibly give anyone is the glory of God and his everlasting kingdom. There is comfort in that, there is hope in speaking of the glory of God and his everlasting kingdom. Your tongue was designed for that. Like a a little bit in a horse's mouth, like a little rudder on a ship, your little tongue is designed to be used to lead and guide and direct and manage you so that your heart and all of your existence would be filled up with confidence and satisfaction in the glory of God. So, is your heart and all of your existence right now today filled up with confidence and satisfaction in the glory of God? If not, it matters, really. Because when death comes there will be no comfort and hope if our hearts are not filled with confidence and satisfaction in the glory of God. When the health scare comes, there won't be any comfort and hope if our hearts are not filled up with confidence and satisfaction in the glory of God. When when hard things come, when your candidate loses, when you don't have enough to pay the bill, If your heart is is not full of confidence and satisfaction in the glory of God, you will find yourself restless and wanting. Now look, none of us are perfect. We can't perfectly fill up our hearts that way, but but are we even in the ballgame? Are we looking at the glory of God, his dominion that never ends, his everlasting kingdom, and saying, yes, that is mine. I'm going to own that today. And if things go bad at the hospital or things go bad at the doctor or things go bad at work or if we lose the game, it's okay because my confidence, my satisfaction is in the dominion of the one who never, ever fails and his kingdom is forever. Do your words reflect that you are confident and satisfied in the glory of God? Do your words sound like blessing or or blemishing do they sound like seasoning or spoiling are they improving or impairing are they helping are they harming are they aggravating are they advancing what are our words what's the air around us the little bit for the horse, the little rudder for the ship, the little wrinkle in the socks, the little lace on the shoes, all of those things can make a big difference and so can our little tongues. That little two ounces of, of muscle, it can make a huge difference in our lives. And not just in our lives and in, in the lives of those around us. Listen again what James said in verse five. So also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. The tongue is one of the smallest parts of the body, and yet it's it's one of the most powerful parts of the body. The tongue can boast of great things. The the tongue can be full of prideful arrogance, and it can boast in that arrogance. And that's, that's foolish and dangerous. Why? Well, James said this in the next chapter, James 4, verse 6, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God's opposed to the boasting of greatness. God's opposed to to prideful attitudes, for lack of a better word. He's he's opposed to the boasting of the proud. So you you don't really want to be in opposition to the one true God of the universe. You don't want to be in opposition to the one whose dominion is forever and whose kingdom is everlasting. He's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It only takes a a casual glance to look around the world today and and in all the airwaves, from politics to to sports to entertainment to just about any other category of life, if there is one dominant theme, it is pride, it is boasting, it is arrogance. We live in a world where everybody has decided their answer is right and your answer is wrong. No matter what category of life we're talking about, their answer is right and, and your answer is wrong. And, and we tend as Christians to go, oh yeah, we're being attacked. We can be the same way. And it's not because we're holding up the gospel. See, we, we would say well, the gospel is right because of Jesus. Not, not because of us, but because of Jesus. But oftentimes we're holding up a lot of stuff that is not the gospel and saying we're right. Right? But we live in a culture where everyone is is claiming that their answer is right. So the airwaves are full of arrogance. The airwaves are full of pride. The airwaves are full of, well, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I will do, and this is what I have done. And that's dangerous. And and James speaks to that in chapter 4 too. Verse 14, he said this, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow, for you are just a vapor. But appears for a little while and then vanishes away just just a vapor all of us we're, we're just a vapor we may live eight years or 28 years or, or 48 years or 88 years or 98 years or more but our, our lives are we're just a vapor and, and the big picture of eternity we're we're just a vapor now that doesn't mean we should be down on ourselves and, and never talk you know oh, i'm i'm just gonna go buy a tent and go live by the Sea of Galilee and never say anything to anybody, you know? I'll just go out there and be holy. Nope, that's, that's not what we're called to do. It does mean this, though, that if our life is a vapor, let's don't waste our vapor being arrogant. Let's don't waste our vapor being prideful. Let's don't waste our, our vapor boasting. Let's don't waste our vapor fighting to get our way. James has given us this this warning, but he's also given us a challenge. Use your vapor, not, not to boast of great things about you, but use your vapor to boast in the greatness of God. All of creation thanks and praises the, the godness of God, the goodness of God, and the, the greatness of God. Let us use our vapor to joyfully boast of the greatness of God, the godness of God, the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the glory of God, because his kingdom never ends. It's why we do those things. The only true great things are the great things of God because his kingdom is forever so if we want to be great the greatest way that we can be involved in greatness is by speaking the words of God because his words are great because his glory is highest and his glory is forever so this warning from James about our our tongues and taming our tongues and and our words and what we say it, it comes on the flip side a little bit with with this promise. don't, Don't waste your vapor. Use your vapor. Be great. Be great by speaking of the greatness of God. Be great by pointing all of the attention to the glory of God. Again, we won't perfectly do that. We just won't, okay? It doesn't mean that, you know, if you go see a movie, you're supposed to stand up in the middle of the movie and say, hey, just want to say glory of God. You know, that may not work. Okay. <laughs> but it does mean that our, our air, the air around us somehow needs to be filled with, with something about this God whose kingdom is everlasting. King Solomon said this about our words, Proverbs 15 verse four. This is in the amplified version. A soothing tongue Speaking words that build up and encourage is a tree of life. Good good words. Oh, tree of life. Flip side, verse 4. But a perversive tongue, speaking words that overwhelm and depress, crushes the spirit. So, are we being a tree of life to those around us or are we crushing people's spirits? And and how do we crush? Look at what it says there speaking words that overwhelm and depress. Do, do you overwhelm the people in your lives? Look, I, I gotta tell you, I'm in a season of life where I'm, I'm just having to deal with, with so much sin in my heart and, and one of those things is I'm constantly asking myself, was I overwhelming with my kids? I mean, I sure didn't mean to be, but man, it's, it's just in my, was I overwhelming with my kids? Did, did I speak in such a way that made it hard for them to win? You know, or was I affirming and encouraging? Was was I a tree of life or did I did I crush spirit? And you know what, parents, we all we all have the ability to do that. And and truthfully, it's kinda noble because we have in our minds, oh, I gotta try so hard with my kids. And you know, we don't do that with grandkids. Well I don't know yet, but I'm assuming I won't, right? Grandkids like, I'm not responsible for them, we're dropping them off, we're out, you know. But with the kids, it's like, oh, I'm so responsible, I'm so responsible, I'm so responsible. And if if we're not careful with our kids, with our principals, with our pastors, with our politicians, with people we work with and go to school with and and our neighbors, we can be overwhelming and and be crushing instead of being a a tree of life. I love eating barbecue. And, And sometimes, and you've been there, you go to a barbecue restaurant and the meat smokers are a little too close to the seating area, you know what I'm talking about? And then like three days later, you still smell like barbecue, you know? Because it got in your clothes and your hair and just everything. I mean, you, you just still smell like barbecue. Now, this isn't grammatically correct. I realize that. But what do your words smell like? What do our words smell like to the people around us? Paul said this to the church at Corinth 2 Corinthians 2 15 for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the one an aroma from death to death to the other an aroma from life to life gosh it's pressure right we we are the aroma of Christ around us and then he says in verse 16 and who is adequate for these things that's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Paul goes, well, who can do that? Golly, who can be the aroma of Christ? And the answer is, well, nobody. You know, no one is adequate to be the aroma of Christ without Christ. Yet with Christ, with Christ, we can be the aroma of the gospel to our spouse. We can be the aroma of the gospel to our parents, to our kids, to our grandparents. We can be the aroma of the gospel to people that we don't even know. See, with Christ, we can do great things, we can have great words. And how do we get started? How do we get started with with these great things, these great words, this, this aroma of the gospel? Well, interestingly, it it kind of starts with shoes and socks and feet. Marshall Siegel said this, When the greatest greatness, Jesus, came into our world, calling lowly fishermen to be his disciples, he kneeled and washed their filthy, undeserving feet the king of kings, the greatest of all time, humbled himself to the point of death. Even the most shameful, painful kind of death. True greatness, Jesus lost his life and love for us. True greatness, big G, is all found in Jesus. Marshall goes on. If you aspire to be great, give yourself to the small mundane, easily overlooked needs around you. Jesus died that we might live and that life, your new blood bought, forgiven, grace filled life was meant to be great. Now, I think it's easy for prosperity preachers to stand and say, hey, you're supposed to be great. Go live your great life now. But that's not what the Scripture really says to us. So don't miss what Marshall said your life, your new blood-bought, forgiven, grace-filled life. In other words, when you realize that Jesus loved you and gave himself up for you, you no longer exist. It is a joy for you to take up your cross and follow after Jesus because you know my life has been blood-bought, forgiven, and filled up with grace. So if you've received that kind of life, you, you have a life that is intended to be great. And what does that greatness look like? Marshall says this, it was meant to be laid down in love for others. So keep the wrinkles out of your socks, okay? Careful of them blisters, but more than that, follow Jesus. I, I know it sounds oversimplified, but, but the message will never change they will never change. Follow Jesus. Don't follow your favorite candidate. Don't follow your favorite pastor. Don't follow your favorite family member. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Because if we're truly following Jesus, here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna pay attention to the little things. We're gonna pay attention to the small, mundane, easily overlooked needs of people around us we are going to if we are truly following Jesus we're going to lay our lives down for other people Jesus said the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve if we're following Jesus we're, we're going to serve others and when we're laying down our lives for others so that our hope is that they would find Jesus in our words that fill the air in our deeds that fill the air around us, we will be speaking of the glory of God and his everlasting kingdom. That is the fresh air our two ounces of muscle were designed to speak. <music>